welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. We're taking the Gospel of Luke and we're going to go through different accounts in there. Uh, that are focused on Jesus in his humanity, and we're going to learn about Jesus and discover Jesus more together. And this, this teaser trailer that we just showed you has different, uh, there are different scenes in there of, of discipleship. Right? You saw Adam with, with Blakely, and they're playing like the guitar in the mini, in the mini guitar, <laughs> the ukulele, or whatever that, that was, uh, and, you know, Dave and Ethan there riding a bike, or, you know, uh, Seth and Charmaine sitting around the table, or the R3 group uh, uh, in, in the patio, you know, all, all these different images. And so throughout the series, what we're going to do is next week we'll have a different trailer video for you. We'll have a different video that'll show one of those discipleship relationships. And then the next week we'll have a different discipleship relationship that, we, that we're showing, and, and we'll release those each week. Um, but... This video today was just showing us how, how discipleship works. You see there that there's generational disciple making, right? There's generational discipleship, even in the, the sparkler imagery, right? Where, where at, uh, you have Diane uh, with, the, with Natalie and Avery, and they're playing with sparklers. And, and then at the end, you have Ethan with a sparkler, right? So you have this, this even passing from Natalie, for instance, to, to Ethan, this generational discipleship. And, and as we see Jesus through, through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to see his humanity. And so what, what does it mean, really? What does it mean for us to be human? Well, it means growing. It means learning. It means uh, producing, persevering. It means being, right? And Jesus did all those things. But often what we do is we emphasize his divinity, which which that's good, we need to, he was fully God, he is fully God, but we do that at the cost of his humanity because he's also fully human. And so for us as disciples, as, as, disciple as disciples of Jesus, it's as important for us to pursue, to pursue humanness as it is to, for us to pursue godliness. So what does it mean for us to actually be human? And part of our journey with Jesus is, is realizing the fullness of our humanity. You see, when God created us and he put us in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were perfectly human. And they're in perfect relationship with the Trinity. Right? And we lost that. And so when Jesus became flesh, when he dwelled among us, as the scriptures says, uh, that, that, that he actually became human, right? And here on this side of history, we kind of talk about it in the past tense. We say he, he dwelt among us and he became flesh. Uh, but it might be more accurate for us to think about this as we go through the Gospel of Luke in terms of Jesus was becoming flesh. And he was dwelling among us, as the writer of Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh. He was becoming... So, so he, here's what I mean. Jesus didn't conform to our humanity. He changed it. 
he showed us what it was always meant to be. What we, you and me, were always designed to be. And we lost that in the garden. And he came to show us and restore that for us and to show us what a life fully lived in the spirit in perfect communion with the Father looked like. And so as we go through the Gospel of Luke, we're going to trace what that is for Jesus because he is also discovering who he is as the Christ in his humanity. And that's what's really cool about this passage this morning out of Luke chapter 2 is we're looking at 12-year-old Jesus. It's one of the only accounts that we have of, of Jesus as a child. And he is learning and growing in his humanity and discovering things about himself, just like we do. And, and so we'll, we'll yeah, we're going we're gonna to look at this. Uh, this week, um, Missy and I were in the Banff area, uh, specifically Canmore, Banff. Uh, we spent some time in Calgary. Uh, it was a really sweet time for us. We were there. We were going to go for a conference, but the conference was canceled. So, uh, but we couldn't get a refund on our plane tickets. So we went anyways uh, and had a better time than we probably would have at that conference. And uh, we, we, it was like a little pastoral retreat for us. And we just spent time hearing from God, praying, and, and hiking in the mountains, and enjoying uh, the beauty of creation, all those things. One of the highlights of our trip was um, Camille. She's from Calgary. And, and one of the highlights of our trip was just spending time with her parents. Uh, we did brunch on the front end and, and on the back end with them. And they're so hospitable and, and uh, yeah, so much wisdom, life experience. It was so great for us. Uh, but God spoke to us so much through them, through nature, through, through prayers, and all that as we were out there. And, uh, and at Camille's recommendation, uh, Missy and I uh, went to hike up Ha Ling Peak. So this is a, a peak. Uh, we'll show you a picture now. Um, you see this peak. It, it overlooks all of everything, <laughs> all of the valley. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you see Canmore down there. You can see for miles and miles. You see um, the Trans-Canada Highway cutting through. Um, you can see, uh, yeah, all the mountain ranges all around you um, if you get to the top. So you see on this peak here, there's a peak, right? And then there's this, there's this kind of U-shaped thing. It's called the saddle. And, and so it's only, when you drive up a little bit up the mountain, and it's only about 3.3 kilometer hike to the saddle, okay? And that's where most, the, so the, the trail takes you right to the saddle, that, that U-shape. Okay, so um, we weren't going to do it. Uh, well, we were going to do it, and then Camille's parents are like, are you sure you want to do it? I think they're like, you guys are city folk. Are you sure you want to risk that? Uh, they recommended some other easier hikes. And we were actually going to do those, but those were, sh those were closed. And I was like, all right, well, let's, let's do Haling. Camille says it's, it's the best. So, um, and, I, and I thought, I mean, Missy and I are, uh, we're, we're fit enough to do something like that, I, I, I would think. Um, and we've, we've climbed mountains before. Uh, but here's the thing about Missy, her background. Missy is a, uh, she's, she's a ballerina, right? That's, that's her background. She does not have camping background. She does not have hiking background. She's not a mountaineer. I mean, you guys who know Missy know this. She's, she's um, I mean, her name fits her, right? Like, she's just like, 
she's just like super sweet and and little and uh, she doesn't play sports, right? Like, you don't want her on your sports team at all. Uh, and she doesn't want to be on your sports team. She, uh, she just, she doesn't do stuff like this. She wouldn't choose, and, and as we go up this mountain, she says, you know, I would never choose to do this. I only do this because I love you. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I take advantage of it. So, because I grew up doing stuff like that. I mean, if you talk to my parents, they'd say, I was doing this before I even remember, hiking up mountains like this. So um, grew up camping in Colorado. Uh, the Rockies come down into New Mexico, so we're hiking there. In California, where I was born, my parents took us hiking at three or four years old. We're hiking tea plantations in Indonesia uh, growing up. Uh, we're hiking through the jungle. Like, we, I, this, is, this is what I did all growing up. Like, I, I can actually survive in the wilderness if I got lost. Well, I wouldn't get lost in the first place. So, <laughs> but Missy would. And, and so the only reason she's surviving is because she's with me. So um, we, we start up this, this hike to the saddle. It's, it's only 3.3 kilometers, guys. But it's like climbing the CN Tower, right? It's 3.3 kilometers up. So think about climbing the CN Tower, which Missy and I have done that. Um, in the stairs, in the stairwell. Uh, but think about doing that for almost two hours straight. And you're just going up, step, 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 up, up, up. So we finally make it. And we took some breaks along the way, um, enjoyed the views, things like that. So about, I don't know, hour 45, two hours later, we're at the saddle. And guys, literally, remember that picture? It's literally the spine of the mountain. So when you get up on the saddle, you could actually get in a saddle, like have your legs on both sides of the mountain. Like it's, <laughs> it's just like when you get to the edge, it's just a sheer drop. So we're climbing up the, the back of it, right? We're hiking up the back of it. And, and so we get to the saddle and that's, that's daunting enough. I mean, you see everything and it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. And Miss and I sat there for a bit and we're just enjoying the time where we, we prayed uh, a bit up the mountain. And there's a few people up there, but not a whole lot of people. Um, maybe, maybe um, let, let's say there's, there's 30 people up there, probably around that. Um, and, and, uh, and so we're enjoying our time. And I'm like, all right, you ready to go? And she's like, she's like yeah, let's, let's go back down. And I was like, well, no, I don't mean back down. I mean, we're going to hike up that peak. We're going to go to the top of Hauling Peak. We didn't come, and I said to her, I said, we didn't come up here to the saddle just to sit in the saddle. We came to hike up the peak. Well, only about a third of the people who hike up to the saddle were hiking up at the peak. And up the way to the saddle, it's, it's a maintained trail. So even though you're walking up, it's, it's a trail. Well, to the, sat, uh, to the peak from the saddle, it's not maintained at all. It's just rocks. It's shale, it's slippery, it's rocks. You're, I mean, there, there's no trail. You're literally climbing the side of this mountain, right? Um, and uh, Missy was like, I'm not doing that. And I said, well, that's why we came up here. And she's like, well, I'm not going up there. And I said, yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're, we're doing this. And, and I had to convince her, guys. And so we, we, um, 
I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't gonna force her, but I knew she could do this. So, finally convinced her. I'm like, look at, there's like, people doing this. Like, it, like I'm like, look at these guys. Let's just follow them. Like, they're they're going. We'll just follow their line. Like, that's fine. Um, um, so eventually, I get her up. We go. We're climbing up the the mountain, and and we're probably only a third of the way up, and she freezes. She stops, and I I kept on climbing. And I turn around, she's not there, so I sit down on a rock. And she's not moving. We're already a third of the way up. And she's like, I'm not going any further. I, I can't. I can't go anymore. And uh, I didn't know what to do, because I didn't want to. I, I, I went through a whole bunch of things. Should I just be patient and wait? Should I gently encourage her? Or should I like army sergeant her? Like, double time, like, you can do this. Uh, like, do this. Uh, and I went through all three of those <laughs> at one point. Because this is about 15, 20, like, where we're sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. She's just stuck. And guys, she wasn't just stuck. She was so scared, she was bawling uncontrollably. And she's just crying. She couldn't stop it. And she was trying not to do it, because she didn't want me to see her weakness. But she's just crying. And, and so part of me is like, I can't army sergeant her. <laughs> I have to just wait. I have to like, be patient. I have to gently encourage her. And, uh, and all these thoughts are going through her mind where if she takes one more step, what if she slips because she doesn't have the right shoes and she falls? Or what if she slips and she falls backwards? Like She literally thought she might fall backwards off the mountain into the abyss, right? Like, what if that happens? Um, what if I get injured? What if, what if I do take another step and I go up? How am I going to get back down? What if, what if, what if? And she has all these what ifs that are preventing her from moving forward, except the what if of, what if I take this step and it gets me further along the mountain? What if I take the next step and I realize I can do this? Well, if I take the next step, and I'm that much closer to the top. But her fears were just surrounding her. And guys, she was praying like crazy. Um, I've never seen her like this. Well, I've only seen her like this one other time. It was when we were climbing a mountain in Cape Town. <laughs> Call a lion's head. So I've only seen her on mountains like this. Um, but all the what ifs of her fears, her anxieties are preventing her from moving forward. And so many of you guys are stuck on the side of the mountain. And you just can't move anymore. You have invested a lot into your faith. You've invested in your church. You're a third of the way. You've invested into your job. You've invested into relationships. You've, you've invested into uh, your schooling. You've invested into all these things. And you're a third of the way, and now you're just stuck. And you don't know what to do. You hate your job. You don't want to be in this relationship. It's actually killing you. Uh, you, you, uh, y your faith just feels stagnant. You don't know where to go. And fears and anxieties and worries and concerns are surrounding you. And for a lot of us, you're not satisfied with where you are on the mountain because you know you're supposed to be up there. You know that you're meant for that. You know you are destined for it. You're designed for it. But you just can't move. And so 
And so because you can't, you're suffering in your fear. And so all you know how to do is make yourself comfortable. And so many of us guys, especially in the Western church, are suffering for our comfort. And so much of our comfort is actually causing our suffering. And so many of you actually choose to just be comfortable in your suffering. Guys, Missy's unstuck on this mountain. She's just suffering there. What can she do? Like she didn't want to go down or up. She just stuck. And so the best she could do is, stay, is be comfortable. Hey, somebody bring me a blanket. Somebody give me some food. Because she has nothing on that side of the mountain. And so many of us are there, guys. The church in general is there in North America. We are stuck. We're stuck in our complacency, in our suffering, in our comfort. And we say these verses like, um, we say these verses that, that talk about selling everything given to the poor and following Jesus, but none of us are doing that. We say these verses like, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But none of us live like that. And the church is just stuck on this mountain, and you are stuck as well. And we just try to be comfortable. And so you start sacrificing for your comforts. You start sacrificing for that relationship you when you compromise your values. You start sacrificing for that job. You try to fit that job into your faith instead of saying, I'm going to live for Jesus. You say, well, I guess I'll just get a job. I'll conform to this world, and I'll try to fit my job into my faith. But that never works, does it? No, because you have to fit, you have to fit that job in your faith because that organization has different values, all, all this stuff. So um, you've, you've mixed it up. You've flipped, you've flipped it. So many of you guys are like, well, I'll just stay comfortable in this life. So, yeah, I mean, I got to go to school. I got to get into school debt. I want those things. You, you, you just chase after the lifestyle, the clothes, the sex, the money, the power, the, the, the house, the car, the, you know, the name your thing, the dog, the, the cat, whatever, whatever it is. Um, name, name your thing that, that, that helps you be comfortable in this life. And you, you sacrifice your freedom for a prison of debt your school debt, your credit card debt, your house debt, well, you know, name your, name your debt, right? And guys, all those debts, don't be, don't be fooled, all those debts are a prison that you chose and you put yourself into. You didn't have to, but they're a prison now. That's what Proverbs says. You are a slave, the borrower is slave to the lender. So we just do that because we're stuck and we don't know where else to go. We know we're designed for that, but we don't know how to get there. We don't think we have the proper gear. We don't think we have, we have the things that we need. So we get stuck. And instead of being like Moses, who climbed Mount Sinai, we're like Israel, who shied away from Mount Sinai in fear. And if you don't go up, you'll be stuck, like Israel. And they were stuck in the valley. And Moses climbed up the mountain. And it wasn't just 40 years in the wilderness for them, guys. It was years and years of wandering that led to exile eventually. Right? And if you don't go, you won't be part of the people of God, like in Isaiah chapter 2, where they climb and scale Mount Zion to be with, with, with the Lord and to learn from his ways. You'll just be stuck at the bottom or on the side somewhere. And if you don't go, you won't make disciples. Right? Matthew 28, in your going... Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey all things I have commanded them. Right? Like, guys, if you don't go, you make disciples. And, and you may say, well, I don't know how to make disciples. I can't do that. 
or you may even say, I don't, I don't want to. That's not my desire. Well, guys, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to make disciples. Everything. You know what the disciples had? They had the Holy Spirit, which you have, and they had part of the scriptures, which you have in full. We have more than they had, and they changed the world. Like, do you understand that? Like, so you have everything you need to make disciples right now. But if you don't go, you won't grow. And that's what we're going to talk about today. That's the bottom line. If you don't go, you won't grow. And you may be satisfied with that. That's not what you were made for. Do not be satisfied with the saddle. You weren't designed to just sit in the saddle. You were designed to climb up that peak. And we see Jesus start doing that here. There's a lot of movement in this passage in the first few verses. 39 to 45, it says, and when Jesus had performed, every, or sorry, and when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their town of Nazareth. So they're doing what they know how to do. They have the law of the Lord, and they are performing everything according to the law of the Lord. Right? Guys, uh, I could talk about that one verse forever. There's so much. Okay. So many of us want to know what God wants for us. We want to know, what, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do with my life? What is your plan for me? Here's his plan. Perform everything according to the law of the Lord. Start there, and then maybe something unique will come from that. But just start with making disciples. Just start with loving God, loving your neighbor. Start with forgiving other people. Start with um, uh, serving others. Start with obeying God from what we know in this book, and then just, just go from there. All of us want something very specific and all that. That's, that's a product. You're, we're just a product of our culture. We're conforming to the world that, that we think uh, it's, it's very narcissistic of us, right? Do you realize we're, you are one person in, what, seven billion and how many billions in history, right? So just start with uh, performing everything according to the law of the Lord. So they did that. They returned to Galilee to the town of Nazareth. Jesus is a baby then. Okay? And then verse 40, a child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom. If you've been reading the Bible all throughout up to this point, you know what wisdom is. And wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The proverb says the beginning of, of wisdom and the beginning of knowledge, say both those things, is the fear of the Lord. So he's filled with the fear of the Lord. He's not filled with the fear of man. He's not filled with the fear of the world. He's not filled with the fear of what am I going to do for my next meal. He's not filled with the fear of how am I going to pay for these things. He's not filled with the fear of, of uh, what, what is my job going to be. Um, am I going to pass this exam? He's filled with the fear of the Lord, filled with wisdom. And the favor of God was upon him. This is an allusion to Isaiah 61. We'll get to it in Luke chapter 4 in a couple of sermons. You'll see it where Jesus opens the Isaiah scroll and he says, I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Basically, I'm the Messiah. I'm here. So he's growing in those things. The favor of God is upon him. Verse 41, now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. Again, that's hugely theologically significant that Jesus is observing the Passover, which is a foreshadowing of what he's going to do, of him 
Uh, I, that's, he, yeah. So they go every year to that. Uh, verse 42, and when he was 12, so now we've, we've catapulted in the future. He's 12 years old now. They went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. <laughs> but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they didn't find him, they didn't just stop and say, well, we'll wait here. They returned to Jerusalem. So they went searching for him. Okay. After three days, can you imagine that? After three days, they found him. Their son, <laughs> 12 years old, right? I mean, Emerson is 10. So I know there's probably a big jump from 10 to 12. But still, 12 years old, can you imagine your 12-year-old just being in the biggest city in the region by himself or herself for three days? I mean, what are they eating? Where are they getting food, money? Who's, who's, who are they with? Um, where are they? You know, things like that. Um, three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. He's, he's 12, right? And I know what you're saying. You're saying, well, he's, he's God. Uh, remember, we're looking at his humanity, because he's also fully human. His parents, in verse 48, when they saw him, they were astonished. Okay. So here's the thing. You have his parents who have raised him since he was a kid, right? Like, they, I don't know if they had diapers back then. I don't know what they did for that, but they changed his diapers. They uh, wiped his butt. They fed him food. They cleaned the spit, the, the spit up off his face. They um, taught him how to walk, right, how to, uh, ride a bike, you know, they didn't have bikes back then, but you know what I mean, they taught him basic things. And so when they walk in and he is in the temple asking these questions and everyone is amazed at his responses and his questions and the way he carries himself, his parents, if, if they, and, and they know he's like chosen, they know he's the Messiah, but they don't understand because they just did all those things to raise their 12 year old, right? And he's in there with the teachers of the law, and they're amazed at him. And so his parents walk in, they're astonished, because up until this point, as far as they knew, he's probably just some ordinary kid. He's doing the kid things. He's playing in the mud over here. He's, he's um, wrestling with his brothers over there. He's uh, not liking broccoli over here, right? He's, he's just an ordinary kid until this point, they say, and they are shocked and amazed and astonished. So much so that his mom says this to him. Right? Do you see that she doesn't understand his divinity as much as his humanity here? She says, son, why have you treated us like this? Why did you do this to us? We've been searching for you for three days. For three days, your father and I have been in great distress. To them, 
He's, a, he's their child. And they're shocked that he would not only be there, kind of among the teachers of the law, but that he would also have, have um, caused them this, this distress. And, and her response is almost, it's a bit selfish. And it's a bit short-sighted. And we know that from Jesus' response. But it's, it's a bit like, yeah, it's just a bit selfish and short-sighted. And guys, here's, here's the thing. This is a little bit of an aside. Uh, but if you go and if you grow, people may respond to you like this in astonishment, but not in a good way. So you see here, his parents were astonished, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, look at our son. He's going to be like this amazing teacher of the law. He's... No, they were astonished because they're like, what the heck, man? Like, <laughs> how could you do this to us? Don't you care about us? How could you treat us like this? And it's this, this like, and, and you have this, and we know it's selfish because of how Jesus responds, but it's this like internal response like, you did this to us. Guys, I've had, I had friends in seminary who's, uh, who felt called to live on mission in a different country. And their parents, and, and, and both, sets, both, both sets of parents for this young couple, um, uh, they both grew up in Christian homes with Christian parents, with parents who, they always went to church, they always did these things, but when they said they felt, they felt called to live on mission in a different country on the other side of the world, their parents got angry with them. They said, how can you do this to us? Don't you know we want to see our grandkids? Don't you know we love you? How can you treat us this way? How dare you? Like, their parents didn't talk to them for I don't know how long, but they cut off communication with them. Like, like that's... Like, like, that's the answer, right? Um, because they were hearing from God, and they were obeying. And their parents said, well, we wanted you to hear, hear from God and obey, but not, not like that. And same thing's happening with Jesus here. He says here, he says, why were you looking for me? And now, that seems like a weird question on the surface, because of course they'd be looking for you. You're, you're, their, you're their kid, right? But it, he means like, you should have known where I was. You didn't have to search for three days. Just come back to where you should have known where I was. And he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, this, is, this question uh, implies locale, like location. Like, he's like, didn't you know I'd be in the temple of God? But, but actually, um, that, that, is, that is implied in the Greek. Like, in the Greek, it doesn't say house. Um, it, it can actually be translated as, didn't you know... I must be about my father's things. I must be about my father's business. I, sh I, I would be doing what my father wants me to do. Joseph, in that moment, probably feels like, wait, isn't, aren't I your father, right? But he's talking about God the Father here, right? Remember, he, he was, uh, yes, he's Joseph's son on earth, but he was uh, conceived of a virgin. He is, he is fully God, and he's, fully man. And you see Jesus here starting to fully realize it. Right? He's starting to fully walk forward into that. He's starting to understand 
more of his and discover more of his identity in Christ, or should I say, as Christ. Right? He's, he's in the house of God with the people of God, studying the, the scriptures of God. And that seems like, that just seems like a formula and an equation for us to grow in our identity in Christ. Be in the presence of God, in the house of God. Be in household, we would say, in the church, right? Be, in, be with the people of God. Study the scriptures of God. There's a formula for growth for us, for discovering our identity in Christ. And Jesus is doing that. And he responds in that way. He's like, don't you know I'd be about my father's business? He's, he's starting to live out his destiny in Christ, right? Like he's starting to understand what that is and what that means. And they haven't seen it up until this point like they are seeing it now. And guys, I know that's hard for us because we're like, well, he, he's fully God, right? Didn't he? And, and we don't know how all that works. We don't know what Jesus knew, but we know that in his humanity, he grew in consciousness, right? When he was a baby, he wasn't speaking every language. When he was a baby, he, wasn't, uh, he didn't come out of the womb walking, right? Like Jesus grew and he changed and he's showing us how to do that. And he's actually changing humanity as he's becoming flesh. And he's showing us what it was always meant to be. And, and so he's growing. And that's really, we don't talk about Jesus' humanity a lot. So I know that's, that, that may be kind of a mind bender for us right now. But um, Jesus is, is growing here, right? We're not saying his divinity changed. We're saying his humanity is changing. He is the God-man. He's both of these things in one. Again, we don't have to understand it. God is incomprehensible, right? So here it says, and, and his parents, verse 50, they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. They didn't get it yet. But Jesus goes down with them. They go to Nazareth, and he's submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So Mary is also starting to discover her identity in Christ. And I say in Christ because we're talking about the Messiah here, right? She's starting to understand Jesus as the Messiah. This is the second time Luke has used this phrase for Mary. She's already started treasuring things up in her heart in uh, chapter 2, verse 19, where this prophecy is said over him. She treasures that up in her heart. She's been pondering and meditating on these things because she knows he's the Messiah, but she doesn't... How can you get it? He's a baby in your arms that you were breastfeeding and, and changing his diapers and um, teaching him things. Like His parents were teaching God things about being human. It's, it, it's, it's pretty wild if you think about it. And it's pretty amazing that Joseph and Mary were chosen to do this. Think about, it for you parents, all the things that your kids do, because you do, that are bad. I mean, that's, yeah, just think about that. How, <laughs> as your kids get older, you'll see that more and more. So that says something really amazing about Joseph and Mary. Uh, and she treasures up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We often say that. We often say he increased in these things. Um, wisdom and, and, and favor, we know. But stature, we kind of say that. But, but really, what does that mean? 
It means what I was just talking about. It means Jesus literally grew up. He got taller. He got more mature. He grew up as a human. That's what this means, that he grew in stature with God and with man. With both. Guys, Jesus shows us, he's our model, and he shows us what it means to live a life full of the Holy Spirit. And so for us as followers of Jesus, life, the abundant life, is right before you. You do not have to be stuck on that mountain. All it takes is one step forward. I read a quote this week, James Clear. He says, uh, action relieves anxiety. And so we're sitting there on the side of this mountain, and I was just waiting. And then I started encouraging. And then I started getting kind of angry, not at Missy, but at her fears because they were just consuming her. And she's praying, she told me afterwards, she's praying like, perfect love, cast that off here. Perfect love, cast that off here. <laughs> but I just can't move this foot. And I started to get angry at, at, at what her fear was doing to her. And I said, I'm not coming down, I'm not letting you down, you have to overcome this fear. I said, all you need to do is take one step and you'll see that it's possible. And guys, that seems so easy, but her fear had so paralyzed her that she couldn't even lift her foot. Like she was in the same position. She wouldn't even move. Like she felt like if she had even moved, everything would slip and the mountain would come falling down and she would lose everything she had already gained. And I just, I, I, don't, I didn't yell at her, but, but I said, you have to move, you have to come up. And so she did. She moved one foot after about 15, 20 minutes. We sat there for about 15, 20 minutes. I was frustrated after about 15, 20 seconds. <laughs> so imagine 15, 20 minutes. And then she moved another foot, and she saw that it was possible. She moved another foot, and she was closer to the top. She was closer to me. She moved another foot, another foot. The tears went away. The, the courage came into her. That action relieved her fears and her anxiety, her, her concerns, her worries. Now, she still knew she had to come back down, <laughs> but she was moving, and she wasn't letting that fear stop her. She wasn't going to be satisfied with being stuck on the mountain. She wasn't going to be satisfied with going back and sitting in the saddle, and she, she definitely wasn't going to go back down without going all the way up. So she scaled it, and we went up, and I was so proud of her. Uh, and we finally get to the top of the mountain, and here's a picture for you guys of us at the top of Hauling Peak. I mean, look at her face, right? She's full of joy, and she's happy, and she's like, I can't believe like we did this. And guys, <laughs> on top of that peak, like it's literally a peak, like, uh, there's, it's just a drop on the other side of the mountain. I mean, when you're up there, there's nothing, there's no ropes, there's no chains, there's nothing. It, it's just you and the sky. Um, but as we went up, uh, she got more and more bold, more and more courageous, right? Think about Joshua, think about uh, the Israelites in the, in the Old Testament who, who, who did this. And even so much 
so much so like we were sitting there, we're just having an amazing time, just sitting there admiring, and we're the only ones up there at one point. Um, there's no one else up there, so it was so gorgeous, so beautiful. And at one point, check out this next picture. I was sitting there, and I had a little disciple come and sit on my lap. Uh, like this little chipmunk comes and just sits on my lap. Uh, it's amazing. It was like felt like Cinderella, you know, like or Snow White, like the the animals coming around around us and. Um, it was just so, so amazing to be up there with Missy and to see that she didn't get stuck. And guys, if you go, you will grow. That's what Jesus tells us to do. Those are the last words he gives us. Go. In your going, do this. Make disciples. In your going, do this. And guys, here's the thing. For making disciples, you do not need a seminary education. You not need to know everything there is to know in the Bible. We'll be mining the scriptures there our entire lives. You not need to have everything in order. You have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling inside you. You have everything you need. And you have the Holy Scriptures. And you can, and you can go to this anytime you want. And you can make disciples. And, and in doing that, and in going and making disciples, you will grow. So instead of being like the Israelites, you'll be like Moses, who saw God and knew God face to face, who, who uh, saw the very glory of God. You'll be like those, the, the church in Isaiah 2 who is worshiping on Mount Zion with all the nations, who they scaled the entire mountain. You'll discover your identity and your destiny in Christ, and you'll help others do the same. That's what it means to go and grow. And as a church, we do not want to be stuck on the side of the mountain. We're going to continue going. We're going to continue growing as a church. We're going to continue pushing the envelope. We're going to continue being bold and courageous in order to scale the mountain, overcome our fears, our concerns, our anxieties, what we might lose, and focus on our identity and destiny in Christ in order to influence our city and the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, your example. I still don't fully understand it. I still don't fully understand your humanity and, and how it was when you were a boy. Uh, but this passage in here is, is there for us for uh, very specific reasons. So help us to continue to discover those um, as we discover our own humanity, as we become more and more like you. So Jesus, make us more like you in this response time. We give it to you in your name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.